Romans 5. We're going to begin our reading at verse 12 and then read through the end of this chapter. Romans 5, beginning at verse 12. What we hear now is God's word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back section of the Trinity Psalter hymnal uh, and page 860. Page 860 in the back section of the hymnal. This is the Belgic Confession. And this morning we will read Article 15 of that confession. Reading from page 860, Article 15 entitled the doctrine of original sin. We believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has been spread through the whole human race. It is a corruption of all nature, an inherited depravity, which even infects small infants in their mother's womb, and the root which produces in man every sort of sin. It is therefore so vile and enormous in God's sight that it is enough to condemn the human race and it is not abolished or wholly uprooted even in baptism, seeing that sin constantly boils forth as though from a contaminated spring. Nevertheless, 
it is not imputed to God's children for their condemnation, but is forgiven by his grace and mercy, not to put them to sleep, but so that the awareness of this corruption might often make believers groan as they long to be set free from the body of death. Therefore, we reject the error of the Pelagians who say that sin is nothing else than a matter of imitation. This is our confession of faith. Well, last week we entered into the second section of the Belgic Confession. After covering that first section about the glory of God, who he is and his, his works, uh, now in that section about man. Uh, last week, talking about man and man's free will. And uh, we looked at that question of does man have a free will by going back to Adam, back to the beginning. And we said, yes, certainly man, Adam, was created with a free will. He was free to choose to sin or to choose not to sin. However, once making that choice to sin against God, his will then became fallen and became bound. And only in Christ uh, could that will be redeemed. In that now man starts to will to do what God would have him do. We can't talk about man's sinful condition without talking about free will and also without talking about original sin. And once again, we will go back to Adam. That's what Paul does in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, he deals with, with how sin entered into the world and how mankind became fallen and became sinners. And of course also brings us through that to how then we can be saved from that fallen sinful nature. He reminds us that, that, that Adam was created perfect with a free will. We talked about that last time, free to choose to fall into sin or not to choose. However, Adam made the choice not to follow after God. He made the choice to exercise his absolutely free will and chose to sin. And because of that, that sin is then passed down to all mankind. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, sin entered the world through Adam's sinful choice. And then verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, because Adam sinned, all of his descendants are also sinners. Now, what is the nature of the transmission of that sin? That's what Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter 5. That's what's being dealt with in our confession, Article 15 of the Belgian Confession. Is it the case, as some would suggest, that, that the transmission of sin from Adam and to all of his descendants is simply a matter of imitation? That Adam, he's described in, in, the, in verse 14 here, Adam, who was a type or a pattern 
of the one who was to come. And they might misread that text and say, look, Adam sinned as a pattern of everyone else who would follow him. The pattern is so you can make duplicates, you can make imitations. Adam sinned, and, and Adam's sons imitated the sins of their father. They looked like their father. Adam's sons sinned, and then their sons saw their fathers, and they sinned. And then their sons saw their fathers, and they sinned. Sin is a matter of imitation from father to son. And so we sin because we look like our father Adam. We sin by imitation. And certainly we do look like our father Adam. We always, we always want to find a family resemblance between a parent and a child. When a child is born, uh, one of the first questions we ask, who does this child look like? Does this child look like this side of the family or this side of the family? I remember when I was serving my church in Sioux Center, I was taking a class at Dort College, and then uh, later my son uh, took a, a class from that same professor. And the professor said to me one time, oh, I can see that he is your son. He talks like you, he acts like you, he looks like you. My son is very good looking. She said all these things. I can tell he's your son. I can tell he's your son. He looks like you. Is it the case that we sin because we look like our fathers? That we look like Adam? Do we sin simply by imitation? You see, if we, if we see sin that way, as simply an imitation of those who have gone before, we tend to minimize our true condition. If we sin by imitation, sin becomes simply a matter of individual actions that we are repeating or imitating from someone else we have seen. Sin becomes a matter only of an action. But Scripture teaches us that sin is not simply our actions. Sin is a condition that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in a fallen, sinful condition. We now have a sinful nature. And that nature is something then we are born with from our confession. It says, there is a corruption of all nature and inherited depravity. An inherited depravity. We got this sin because we are sons of our father Adam. Not simply by imitation, but the sin is transmitted to us. When a child receives a hereditary disease. It's not because they've done anything. They're just a child of their father and mother. That's the nature of our sinful condition. We sin not because we imitate Adam. Our sin is not a matter of imitation. It is a matter of imputation. Adam's sin imputed to us because we are his children. That's where our sinful nature comes from, this sinful nature. What do we read in verse 19? We read, For as by the one man's disobedience, 
the many were made sinners. Not just that they started to sin by imitation, they were made sinners. It was part of who they are. It was part of their nature. Sin from Adam is not a matter of of individual actions. It is a sinful, fallen condition, an inherited depravity from our first father, Adam. And that, that inherited depravity, which we have received, is now manifest, is now demonstrated in our lives. It is something in all of us and affects us in all ways. This sinful condition, this fallen sinful nature is manifest in adults. It's manifest in our relationships. It's manifest in our marriages. It's manifest when husbands and wives choose not to follow God's pattern for their marriage, but choose to go their own sinful way because of their sinful nature. Not simply a matter of choices, uh, individual choices, but that fallen sinful nature manifesting itself. That fallen sinful nature is manifested in in elders, in deacons, in ministers. When I was growing up, you know, I thought that the minister was so close to God. Of course, when I grew up, remember, ministers were much older men at that point. Uh, they're not old anymore. Uh, I grew up, and one of my ministers in particular, he used to wear a big black robe that he preached in, and he would, he would walk into the pulpit and you'd think, boy, this guy, this guy probably doesn't sin anymore. This, this, guy, this guy has to look down to see heaven. That was the picture of, of this, 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 this minister in front of me as a child. All of us, all of us manifest that sinful nature. It is, it is manifest in our life as adults. It is manifest in our children. What does our confession say? It is an inherited depravity which even infects small infants in their mother's womb. The confession here reflecting the truth given to us in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was brought forth in iniquity when I was born. And even before that, after being conceived, still in the womb, I had that sinful nature. Now a child in the womb isn't imitating anyone. But that, that, that sinful nature imputed to them which is why, you know, we don't use the term innocent babies. Babies are beautiful, they're cute, they're wonderful, but they're not innocent. Even babies have that, that inherited sinful condition of fallen and sinful. They're not to talk. We don't, we, we don't have to teach our children to sin. Every parent knows that. You don't have to teach your children to sin. You don't have to teach your children to say no. You don't have to teach your children to say mine. They seem to learn these things so naturally demonstrated the fallen sinful condition demonstrated in adults demonstrated in children all of us see that that fallen sinful condition manifesting itself in our lives manifesting itself 
in, in everything that we do. Once again, from our confession, this inherited depravity, which even infects small infants in their mother's womb, and the root of which produces in man every sort of sin. It produces every sort of sin. Every part of us infected with that inherited depravity. It's, it's manifest in, in how we treat each other. Children, it's, it's, it's made clear in how you treat your brothers and sisters. When you, when you argue with them, when you fight with them, that's the sinful nature showing itself, manifesting itself, demonstrating itself in you. It's how we treat our classmates. It's how we treat our church members, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. This sinful nature manifests itself in what we do. It manifests itself in what we say. In in how we talk about those around us. In how we as children talk about our parents. In how we talk about our teachers. It, it's manifest in adults in how we talk about those who have authority over us. How do we speak about the elders of the church? How do we speak about the uh, civil authorities God has placed over us? How do we speak about those who are in God's lawful authority? That, 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 that sinful nature manifests itself in all people and in all things that we do, in things that we say, even in our thoughts. Our thought life tainted with sin. Our thought life unable to properly think clearly about who God is and who we are. All of this in the confession, all of this in Romans 5, to paint this, this desperate condition of mankind. That this sinful nature, not merely a matter of imitation but imputation, this sinful nature affects all, all of us, affects all that we do, and is sufficient to condemn us. Once again, our confession. It produces in man every sort of sin and is therefore so vile and enormous in God's sight that it is enough to condemn the human race. This sinful condition, this fallen nature, is enough to condemn us for eternity before a holy God. Because of Adam's sin, because of what Adam did, we are condemned. And whenever we talk about imputation like that, it just doesn't quite seem fair because of something Adam did, because of something our first father did, we are condemned. Now imagine, kids, if on the way home from church this morning, you were riding in the car, and uh, maybe your, your, your father or mother, who is ever driving, gets distracted, and they're driving a little too fast, and a police officer pulls them over. And the officer says to them, look, you were speeding. And then he turns to you and says, 
And so I'm going to punish you because your parents did something wrong. Well, that doesn't seem fair. You could say, I, I, I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting here, you know, reading my book. I didn't do anything. Imputation of Adam's sin to us just doesn't seem right. Just doesn't seem fair. But when we begin to resent, question the imputation of Adam's sin to us, we have to read a little more about what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Because in Romans 5, Paul not only makes the connection between the first Adam and us, he sinned, we're condemned. But he also makes the, the connection between the second Adam and us. Between Jesus Christ and us. Look at verse 15. For the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many? What he is saying is this. Yes, yes, Adam sinned, and that sin is imputed to all of his posterity, but there's a greater imputation, a better imputation. The imputation of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Adam's sin is imputed to us, but in a greater and more abundant way, Christ's righteousness is also imputed to us. The act of another. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to, to merit it. But Christ chooses to impute his righteousness, his obedience. That's what we receive. And that is part of the glory of the gospel. The call of the gospel is not imitate Christ. No one could ever imitate a sinless Christ. No, the call of the gospel is not imitate Christ. The call of the gospel is believe what Christ has done. And as a result of that, receive the imputation of his righteousness. The removal of all of our sin and the imputation of the perfect righteousness of Christ. That is the glory of the gospel. This morning, God calls you not to be like Jesus for your salvation. God calls you to place your trust in Jesus for your salvation. Place your trust in him and know that he has done everything necessary to wipe away all of your sins and to grant you, to impute to you, to give to you his righteousness. We don't say, you know, be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? We say, look at what Jesus has done. He has done everything necessary. He has fulfilled all righteousness and that for us. Verse 16. For the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. 
But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. One sin condemned many, and one act of righteousness will redeem many. The power of Jesus Christ, the power of his finished work, a power which gives us life. Again, verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In Adam, we received death. In Christ, we receive life, life from the dead. The power of Jesus Christ and the glory of his wonderful work, a power able to take us from death to life. We talked about that last time, man not simply sick in sin, but man dead in transgressions and sins, and the gift he receives is the gift of eternal life to overcome the power of death. Our text, verse 21. As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading us to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Leading us to eternal life. Oh, I am so thankful for imputation. So, so thankful that, that God, while he does impute Adam's sin to me, even more than that, he imputes Christ's righteousness. And he sees me now not as fallen, not as a sinner, not, not still bound in that sinful condition, but one who's been redeemed. One who's been, who's been freed from sin. One, when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ, not because I'm imitating Christ, but that righteousness imputed to me. He sees me as if I'd been as obedient as Christ was for me. Oh, the glory of the wonderful truth of imputation. We so, don't simply sin because we imitate our first Adam. If that were the case, we'd have to imitate the second Adam for salvation, and that could never be. No, that sin is imputed to us, and because then Christ does a perfect and greater work, his righteousness imputed as well. Yes, man's sinful condition, a desperate condition, but not beyond the grace of God. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And God once again reminds you today that if you are found in Jesus Christ, you're not only found in the first Adam, but you're found in the second Adam. The imputation of all of his righteousness given to you. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for the glorious work of salvation, a work that you accomplished through your son Jesus Christ. We know